0: So tonight we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 31. If you have a Bible, you can open up two there. In this latter part of 2 Chronicles, these last few chapters, they're longer chapters. There's a lot of text. And so we, we looked at two chapters Tuesday night. I was ambitious. I was hoping to do three, and I realized it was a, 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 an ambitious thing to start with, and we settled on the two. And as we settled on the two, what we really got is part two of King Hezekiah. So there's been four chapters of King Hezekiah in Chronicles, arguably the greatest king of the 19 kings of Judah, encompassing like a 300-year period. And just reading these four chapters had just been so beautiful and pleasant, because even when he was prideful and called out for it, he humbled himself, which is more than any of the other kings really did in the latter part of their lives as well. So he's really been an amazing person to look at as we've gone through not only kings you know back in the day but chronicles and you even get him in the book of isaiah as well and so as we come to uh, hezekiah tonight we're coming in on chapter 31 and he opened the temple his father ahaz had destroyed everything shut everything up he opened all that up and within two and a half weeks time you know the temple's back open for business for the people of god he came to power when he's 25 as a king and he reigned almost 30 years and then he called for that passover feast that special passover feast which we looked at last week. It was just amazing. The people came together. It was just an awesome time with the Lord, an amazing time with the Lord. And so we come forward from that tonight, and now we get this sort of sweeping panoramic, chapter 31, of what he did when he really got traction with being the king. And we do get the whole chapter tonight because as we look at this, there's just different things about Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the people and the priests that we just really want to look at because it's a wonderful chapter and there's things to take to heart from this special generation as we look at them. Now, when all this was finished, that is the Passover feast and all that special stuff, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces. They cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they'd utterly destroyed them destroyed them all and then all the children of israel returned to their own cities every man to his own possession so chapter one is verse one of this chapter is really connected to the previous chapter so after that passover feast they finished the job they sealed the fruit they went out there and they tore down everything that was offensive and contrary to the lord all the false idol places all the false places of worship everything that shouldn't have been there that ahaz and the people had tolerated Hezekiah went out there with the people. They're all in it together, and they tore them down. So they've really set themselves up to be blessed because so often, before God can fill up, he has to remove the things that are holding back the blessings. Verse 2. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions. Each man according to his service, the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings and peace offerings, to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions For the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbath and the new moons and said feast, as it is written in the law of the Lord. So they're obeying the Lord, they're reinstituting all these things that were in the law of God and getting things fully back on track in such a way that hasn't been for a couple of centuries that's really honoring the Lord. Moreover, verse 4, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Everything's biblically based in what they're doing. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance, the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of the holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, and laid in heaps, in the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, hey, you know, Since the people began to bring the offerings to the house of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and have plenty left for the Lord, uh, left, left beyond that, because for the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is this great abundance." Now Hezekiah commanded them, prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. Then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, the dedicated things. Konaniah, the Levite, had charge of them. Shimeiah's brother was the next. Jehieliel, Azahiah, Nathan, Asahel, Jeremoth, Josabod, Elia, Ishimakiah, Mahath, and Benaniah were overseers under the hand of Konaniah and Shimeiah's brother as the commandment of Hezekiah the king and Azariah the ruler of the house of God. So he's putting things in order. Kor, the son of Imnah, the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, was over the free will offerings to God to distribute the offerings of the Lord in the most holy things. And under him were Eden, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shem- Shemimaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah, his faithful assistants in the cities of the priest, to distribute allotments to their brethren by their divisions to the great as well as the small. Besides those males from three years old and up who are written in the genealogy or the family records, they distribute to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division. And the priests who are written in the genealogy according to their father's house, and the Levites from twenty years old and above, according to the work, their work, by their divisions, and to all who are written in the genealogy, their little ones, their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them. For in their faithfulness, they sanctify themselves in holiness. Also for the sons of Aaron, the priests, who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities, in every single city, there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who are listed by genealogies among the Levites. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God, And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart, so he prospered. As I mentioned, now there's a fair bit of text here. And as I looked at this text and considered how to teach on Hezekiah tonight, there really was no shortcut. We needed to see the whole chapter because the beauty of our topic tonight is really related to the whole chapter. Because tonight we're really looking at A special generation. These people shared their journey for 30 years, just about. He was a king for 29. So we'll just round it off to 30. He came to power at 25 after his dad, who was the worst, passed away. But you think about this if you were living at that time and you saw his dad be so carnal and so against the Lord and just fight God, but you saw Hezekiah, his son, the prince, how he carried himself. And you sort of consider what the future might look like whenever the current King Ahaz died. Like, you know, i got a good feeling about his son. He doesn't act like his dad. He carries himself kind of different. You know, like, dad is carnal and evil and fights the Lord. His son's kind of, you know, he walks a tight tight line. He's, you can tell there's something different about this guy. i got a good feeling about the prince heir to the throne when he comes to power. Because at 25, you get a pretty good feel for what kind of man you're dealing with. And... Maybe when he entered the room, he tilted the room in a good way with holiness to the Lord. Either way, we know the moment he was the king, if he held the cards close to the vest, he let it rip. This is who I am. This is the way it is. This is what we're doing. So, whether people could sort of see it was going to go that way or it just happened that way, it's the right way and it's a good way. It's a beautiful chapter, isn't it? I mean, we've seen some pretty difficult chapters going through the historical record. This is a beautiful chapter. What's also fascinating about this chapter, and we talked about this last week, and we should be reminded of it this week because it is important, it was a very difficult time geopolitically. It was a scary time because the Assyrians were coming from the north and they were conquering everybody. Anyone they chose to conquer, they conquered. The Middle East, Mesopotamia, that part of the world, had never seen a superpower like this up to this time. Now, there were some great empires of the Egyptians, hundreds and hundreds of years, a millennial before, but there was nothing like the Assyrians. The advancement in warfare and war technology and how they waged war was copied for another 1,500 years from the things they invented in this timeline that they're seeing in their day and age. They're seeing weaponry and warfare tactics they'd never seen before, and brutality of prisoners they'd never seen before they're seeing a superpower and a super people rise up with no one able to stop them. And when Hezekiah came to power, these super people besieged their brethren, the Israeli brethren in the north, there at Samaria. They besieged them, they crushed them, they routed them, they put rings in their noses and their ears and hauled them off to be displaced into basically human trafficking. That's what happened. So the first six years Hezekiah is in power, It's the fall of the north, and then what it looks like after that. And then it's Assyria coming after Hezekiah. In fact, chapter 32 is when Assyria shows up to go after Jerusalem and Judah. So what's really beautiful and insightful about what we just read is in the midst of all these times where you can make excuses why you'd run and go hide in the hills and be unsettled and anxious over things that you have no control over, they all just stayed focused on what mattered. This great leader these godly people and these spirit-filled priests and Levites, they went about doing the right thing regardless of what was going on geopolitically and the threats militarily and the uncertainty hanging over everything they knew. Plus, they also knew that they were in trouble because as the law was read, the law of God, they realized they were completely guilty and God had said if you don't obey my word, you'll go into captivity. And they're watching the North be conquered and go into captivity. If you're looking for reasons to be fearful, you'll always find them. If you're looking for reasons to be anxious, you'll always find them. If you're looking for reasons to be negative, you'll you'll find them. If you're looking for reasons to be insecure, you'll find them. If you're looking for reasons to be critical, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to be lazy you can find them it's all perspective but if you can block out the noise and look up then you can find every reason to see sunshine you know the bible says right what you put out you bring back and so to have friends one must be friendly the one who shows mercy will find mercy whatever you shall show you shall reap and so we, we realize in the scriptures the one who shows forgiveness finds forgiveness. So really, it's a matter of perspective. If you look for good, you'll see good. And if you want to walk with the Lord, you will wake up and you will walk with the Lord. And if you, if you, are, if you free yourself from excuses for not doing the right thing, you'll wake up with all the reasons to do the right thing. It doesn't matter who's doing what in the north, what the Assyrians are doing or what's happening in Samaria to the northern tribes. If you want to walk with the Lord, you will wake up and walk with the Lord. If you want to know the joy of the Lord, we choose the joy of the Lord. If you want to receive his love, you'll receive his love. If you want to be a vessel of his love, you will be a vessel of his love. doesn't matter if you're living in Europe in the 30s, in China in the 50s, or in America in the 2020s. But what's really cool about this story and this event is that these people, this king and these priests, there's no equal to them in the biblical records. There's just nothing that matches up like this. That it's amazing to me that in the midst of this fear and anxiety and chaos, what preceded them and what's going to follow them with Manasseh after the 30 years is done, they just, they just carve out their little 30-year window, their three, their three decades, and they let it rip with King Jesus, Old Testament style. And that really gets my attention. Yesterday, I went up to Downey. I had... Uh, Breakfast with Artie Reyes, the pastor, who's the new pastor Calvary Downey. You know, the, the legend, Jeff Johnson. How do you replace Jeff Johnson? But Artie didn't even know Jeff, and Jeff didn't know Artie, but uh, the Lord brought them together, and the Lord told Jeff, this is the guy like, <laughs> like Samuel the prophet in the house of David, and that's the way it went. And, and uh, Artie's amazing. The first time I ever heard Artie teach, I thought, this kid's got a double portion on him. This kid's amazing. I saw it right away, just like my son-in-law, Nick Gallagher. And I'm friends with Art. We got together, and we're there in Downey, and we were talking about the legacy of Jeff Johnson. Well, actually, we got in the car, and he called Jeff Johnson on the phone, Uh, and Karen was there, his wife, and he's like, Joey, we're just thinking of your sister's testament on the radio. We missed our off-ramp because we're listening on K-Wave. You're talking about your sister. We missed our off-ramp. I was like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) You know, that's great, and so we got to chit-chat. So I'm on the phone in the car with Artie talking to Pastor Jeff and his beautiful wife, and well, how are you doing, Jeff? Well, you know, I'm waiting on a liver. I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know that, but, you know, I mean, we're 70, right? Like, I mean, we're going to glory, so guys going to glory. I mean, if you're looking forward to 90, good for you. I'm looking forward to glory, all right? So I'm like, hey, I'm like, look, Jeff, we're all in an airport waiting for our flight. You're just, yours looks like it's a little sooner, and I got him laughing, because <laughs> that's what people over 60 that see the glory, that's how they can be with each other, you know? Great conversation. Well, anyways, Artie and I have this great time, and then we're leaving. He goes, let me show you something. We went to this killer Cuban restaurant. It was awesome. And then we, he shows me this little building. He goes, that's where Jeff started. Little teeny building. Couldn't have been 800 square feet. Looked like an ADU or something, additional dwelling unit in your backyard in Huntington, right? It was not that big at all. He goes, that's where Jeff Johnson started. Wow, man. And now it's like, what, 20 acres in Los Angeles, what the Lord did. And now Artie, the church is growing and thriving wow. And that got me thinking about Hezekiah in this text, because Jeff, I thought about Jeff Johnson, because we were talking about Jeff being retired and different things, and Jeff basically was a pastor for almost 50 years. You know, he had a long run there, you know, at Calvary Downey. But I thought, well, it got me thinking about Pastor Chuck and the Jesus Revolution movement and Pastor Greg Laurie, right? Because, you know, it's all out there right now, right? I mean, I baptized someone at Pirates School a couple weeks ago by request. Then Artie showed me a photo of like like 500 people at Downey at Pirates Cove. I'm like, well, here's a picture of me with one person, but you know, it's the Lord, right? It was great. We're comparing Pirates Cove photos from the last two weeks. Having a good time. I thought, Jeff Johnson, 1970 to 2000. That's a 30-year window, huh? That's a pretty good window, by the way. You Calvary people that are older? 1970, that's the tent To Y2K, when everyone thought the world was going to end, and Chuck said, don't worry, the electricity won't even flicker. That's a pretty good 30-year window. Like, you knew some bad stuff was around the corner. You just didn't know how bad it was. You're <laughs> like, nah, how bad could it get? Well, we know now. But in the year 2000, you're just worried about, like, having water for January 1st and electricity not working or something. Well, how about 1965 when Chuck was really getting it going? It was really starting because I read Memoir of Grace, his story to 1995. Now, that's a 30-year window right there. Boy, that's when Calvary, that's the Harvest Crusades were just really taking off. Like if you had that 30-year window and that was you and then boom, eternity, boy, you had a good 30 years. If you were a Calvary Chapel pastor or involved in the Calvary movement from 65 to 95, well, that was a good run, good timing. And I'm thinking, well, you know, then you get my era, 90 to present day, 90 to 2020, who could have known, Right. But it th- just got me thinking about my own application and our application. Because I thought, you know, there's people that had this 30 years, this generation, but then they rolled right into Manasseh and like going, here we go again. <laughs> We're going to get Manasseh next week and it's actually a happy ending, believe it or not. But man, that guy did a lot of bad stuff for a long time. I thought so we can't control that. But we can control our attitude and our perspective and our self-determination in our... We can make our generation the great generation. That's what we can choose to do. Something that got my attention with Pastor Art is when he merged the church he was pastoring at that time to come to Downey, the first thing he did was put like $50,000 improvements in the nursery. And he, and he said, you know, because we're talking about people moving out of state to Texas and Arizona and all these places, and he goes, you know, I want to send a message right away. We're not going anywhere, but we're building for the future. I said, good for you. And he goes, yeah, and all these young families are coming out with their kids. We upgraded the nursery. He said, what would you think if we redid the carpets in the sanctuary? And I said, I think that's an upgrade. That's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. See, though there's something beautiful about Hezekiah and this 30-year window of this generation and what they did to- together from this day forward and these events... And the run that they had and the, what they shared. Some people went on beyond that and didn't have the same, same ha- happy feelings gone. You know, that kind of a thing. But that's okay. Because, again, that's why I say it, it comes down to each one of us what we choose to do. And look at that little teeny building in Downey going like, wow. Just wow. That little teeny building. We drove by Downey High School and said, hey, you know what? The greatest of vocals of all time went to that high school. Did you know that? And he goes, who's that? I'm like, Karen Carpenter. Karen Carpenter went to Downey High. Bought the same shoes singing for President Nixon same time Jeff started his church in that little building. Oh, the history. And they're gone, or they're going. We need to write our own history, like the people in this chapter. We need to be like this king, we need to be like these people, and we need to be like these priests. This is a special generation, and I'm not willing to concede mine, and I hope you're not willing to concede yours, So let's think about these things. Just a couple principles of a 30-year window and what these people did that was so special. First of all, the excellence of the king. Looking for the right word to describe the king, excellence, or on this broad topic of this historical record. But, you know, the quality, the greatness. But I just kind of like excellence. It says in verse 1, it says, when these things were finished, he led these people, and they did what no one had done before. They just removed everything. Like, they were messing around. They, 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 they didn't go for an 8.5. They went for a perfect 10. They were all in. We used to say when we coached the U.S. Olympic surf team and surfing men go big. Go big or go home. you got a, you got a first turn commitment. Go big. Go for all of it. Let it rip. These guys went big. They didn't hold back anything. They weren't playing games with the Lord, they knew the Assyrians weren't playing games. They know, they know that Jesus on the cross is not a game. The blood of Christ is a, pre- is a special thing and a precious thing. All these animal sacrifices were looking toward Christ coming. There are shadow things to come. So in all these animal sacrifices, it's their way of saying the Messiah is coming and his blood must be shed for our sins. They went for it and he led them. Then when he said, we gotta get, we got to get the animal sacrificial system going, we got to get the praise going, we got to reboot everything that my dad wrecked, and he said, we need the people to bring in the tithes, we need to fulfill the commandments of the Lord with the giving and the offerings. What did he do? He led the way. You saw that there in verse 2. He appointed these people, and then in verse 3, he appointed his portion of his possessions. We know the greatest leadership is leadership by example. Leading from the front. I share this occasionally, but I always go back to what John Corson, Pastor John from Applegate, Oregon, said to me over about 34 years ago. He said, Joey, the church will rarely ever rise above the temperament of the pastor. So make sure your zeal remains high and strong. And if the church isn't praying enough, giving enough, or serving enough, you've got to look in the mirror and start there. Rarely will people rise above their leadership. If you work at Starbucks and you have a great shift lead, you'll rise up to the occasion. you have a poor shift manager, you'll dumb down on the occasion. That's just the way the human experience works. We all know that from employment places. If morale is high during COVID and everyone's excited to serve and bless the people because you have good leadership that's, you know, mind of Christ and persevering and making a way, you're going to feel that way. But if everyone's beat down and discouraged and then you're going to you're going to feed off that. People rarely rise above their leadership. That's why spiritual leadership is such a... Good leadership is such a premium, but spiritual leadership is the greatest premium. And this king... Before he ever gave a commandment to give, he gave. He led the way in his giving. Then the summary of his life on the latter part, verse 20, it says that everything Hezekiah did throughout Judah, he did what was good and right and true. Man, wouldn't it be beautiful to put that on your tombstone? When I do your graveside service, wouldn't it be great? For all of us to look at their thing or go visit your thing five years later and see about your life as a woman, your life as a man, they did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. That's awesome that the Holy Spirit says this in the Word of God. In case we're not certain what the real legacy of his life is, he did what was good, right, and true. But then we really get this explanation of what he's all about. It says, and in every work that he began, not some work, every work. Not most work, every work. Every work that he began in the service of the house of God. Everything he did for the Lord as unto the Lord. In the law and the commandments of the Lord, he did to seek his God. He did it seeking the Lord, and he did it with all his heart. There's no divided heart here. All of his heart. And as a result, he prospered. We all want to prosper. I, I prefer, <laughs> I think I said this in art yesterday. I said, given a choice, I'm going to take prosperity over poverty any day, right? Wouldn't you? There's no virtue in either. I, I prefer to prosper than to be impoverished, you know? It's just where I think I speak for all of us. But he prospered because he did what was good, right, and true. And in everything he did that he began, he did it well. And he did it with all of his heart. And therefore, he prospered. It says in the following chapter, uh, later on it repeats the phrase, in verse 30 of chapter 32, it says, Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. That the Lord just blessed him in everything he did. He had abundance, he had all this stuff, and they honored him at his death, is how the last chapter, the next chapter ended. We saw that on Tuesday. His leadership, his passion, And his effort of what he did. There was great value of quality in his life to everything he did. Which reminds us of that verse in Colossians where it says, Whatever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord. Not unto men, but as unto the Lord. Just great quality of effort and passion for the task at hand. He he gave it his all. I'm challenged by this. I hope you're challenged by it. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, I wish that you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. The Lord puts a premium on passion. The Lord puts a premium on zeal and to have a zest for life. The world puts a premium on it. Most bosses would obviously prefer an employee that shows up early on time and is excited to go to work, as opposed to someone that shows up right at the time or late unenthusiastic, and has no passion for their work. It's just a job. They're just existing. And I said this a couple weeks ago, but when, when we're living for the call of God in our life, we immediately go to that 5% of people that have a passion and purpose for life, for everything we do. And we can do whatever we do, hardly as unto the Lord. And it may seem like we're working for someone else's dream because we're not sure what our dream is, but if you wake up with Jesus as the author and finish your faith, your life is the dream. You're living the dream. Because you're going to glory, and you're, you're promised glory. And we pass from death to life. And so we, we have all that purpose. In the business world, they have that we have this model what they call the QQS. The quality, the quantity, and the spirit of what you do, QQS. The quality, the quantity, and the spirit. That's how you measure uh, moving up in business in a lot of ways. So the world puts a premium on quality, a quality job. The quantity by which you can do that job and the spirit of which you do that job. Again, speaking with Pastor Artie yesterday, I said, you know, I learned something really interesting when I did the USA surf team, particularly the second time. I realized this. God has set up the universe, and regardless of world religions or philosophies, one thing is absolutely true in his universe. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, WG? Who's the greatest? Daniel, servant of all. Jesus said the greatest existence of a human being, is to be the servant of all. He said, unless you lose your life, you won't find it. And the one you seek to hold on to, you'll lose unless you let it go, and then you find the life that's in Christ. You know, it's interesting, most world religions put a premium on self-sacrifice to serve others. The business world puts a huge premium on customer service, the most successful businesses, serving others. Hezekiah, as he led the people of God, he served the Lord with a quality of effort that everyone could see from the front and a quantity of effort with everything he did. He was all in with everything he did. And the spirit by which he did it was unto the Lord. He wasn't doing it to make money from people. He didn't see people as consumers. He saw them as sheep, just like David did. And it's such a testimony to us. That in this 30-year window of a great generation, the key to the greatness of it begins at the very top, that this spiritual, this king was a spiritual leader where he showed the people how to do it, how to serve the Lord, how to be all in with the Lord, how to have a quality effort, how to bring quantity and just go for everything God asked for you, not settle for less, and to do it in a spirit of service to the Lord. So even when you're totally rolling and you're like, you're blessed beyond measure, you're the first person that ever defeated, defeated Assyria, and all the surrounding nations go like, oh, my goodness, Hezekiah is like the baddest dude on the Middle Eastern block. And he's like, I am, aren't I? And then God's like, you're prideful. And, and God said, you're prideful because I did that for you. And he's like, oh, I am, huh? And he repented of it. Think of all these kings when they get called out. Like, No one tells me I can't go in the temple and be a priest. You know, he's like, yeah, you're right. And so he repented and God gave him even more. What an example. Listen, we all need somebody. Husbands, if you're married, you lead your wives. Is it quality? Is it quantity? Is it spirit of Christ? Parents, you lead your children. Is it the quality of a life, a heart fully devoted to the Lord? And the quantity of decisions and actions toward the kingdom, not toward selfishness and things you leave behind that don't have great value? And is it a spirit of the things of the Lord that by which we're doing it? I ask myself these questions but this was a great king. This was a quality king. This was an excellent king. This is excellence. This is excellence, and he was a king, and as a king, he was, he's the greatest of kings. He, he's on the podium for the gold medal. I mean, Jehoshaphat was close, right, and Josiah's close, but I think when they, when they, you know, when the flags come down with the national anthem, I'm thinking this is the guy that is the greatest of the 19 kings of Judah. It's just amazing. Now, from this excellence of the king that made it so special, so in other words in all things we can't control, we look at a generation, we look at our family, we look at our grandchildren, we look at our adult siblings or different things in the church we're part of, the windows we have, maybe we don't get to be Jeff Johnson, 1970 to 2000 at Downey, but we are who we are right now, or we're Artie Reyes and Downey 2023 to however far he's gonna go he's 33, so give him 30 years I was like, Artie man 2053 dude Man, who even knows? California, USA, the world, 2053, I'm not planning on being here. But I, I, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I wish you well, man. Go get them in the name of Jesus, right? Make the most of it with our best effort, which is something I say all the time. The generosity of the people is the second thing we see. Man, they were generous. They were generous. He, he said, okay, this is the law of the Lord. Now, The tithe, the tithe means 10%. Okay, so 10% of whatever the Lord gives you, you acknowledge the Lord. Now, for Israel, this 10% provided for the one tribe set apart to serve the Lord. So the 10% of the wine, the, the honey, the oil, the grain would be brought to the priesthood and distributed amongst the priests and the Levites to provide their sustenance for the work they did for the Lord. They didn't get the inheritance of the land. They didn't get to plow the big fields and big farms and vineyards and olive groves. They were about the business of the Lord, teaching the law of the Lord in the Old Testament, serving the people, tabernacle, then temple duties. That's what they did. So they were dependent upon the giving of the people to do their job. Now, we know from the, with Ahaz, his dad, Hezekiah's dad, none of that happened. They were unemployed. It's like a, a bully politician came to came to and said, Nobody does ministry. We're shut in the temple. No church is allowed, right? That's what they all face. I'm like, oh, okay, remember we saw last week they're all crying. They're all the priests were all crying. I'm like, I know why they're crying. They're crying because they let the government bully them to not be doing the ministry. That's why they're crying. At least I think that's why. And if they're not crying, that'd be a good reason to be crying. Or if that's not the reason, the people needed to give so the priest, in the context of the Mosaic Covenant, could do the work that God called them to do. Now, the tithe existed before this because Father Abraham is their father. When he defeated Chedorlaomer and the kings back there in the book of Genesis, when he rescued Lot, his nephew, with a couple hundred soldiers, and he brought back all the goods from Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Melchizedek, who's a type of Christ, met him on the way, the prince of Salem. He brought him bread and wine, like communion, And Abraham acknowledged him as a superior and gave him the tithe. So under the Abrahamic covenant, the one of faith, Abraham tithed. He gave a tenth of the spoil. And then, interestingly enough, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, those guys say, hey, you can have everything, just give us the people. And he goes, I don't want anything from you. I don't want you to say that you made me who I am. God makes me who I am. God makes me. God Almighty It makes me who I am. So you can keep all the good. See, the the possessions never owned Abraham. He went for his nephew. He didn't need all the, he didn't need the possessions. He gave a tenth to Melchizedek and he said to the kings, you can have it all back except pay my workers their wages worthy for the military duty they render to you to rescue everything. Otherwise, we're all good, which is really impressive because his own convictions of faith, he didn't put them on his co-workers. He simply said, no, I don't need to be paid by you, but they do. Because they, they did this, so you pay them, and otherwise we're all good. Funny thing about the tithe, though, when Jesus talked about the tithe, the one time he mentions it, it's, he's rebuking the Pharisees because he says, you tithe cinnamon and cumin, you get your spices, and you cut up ten segments, and you give this to the Lord, but you don't even care about people. You don't love people, you don't serve them, you don't show mercy, you don't show compassion. You, you, you do this, and you strain a gnat with this way, but you don't even care about people. So you, it did not even matter. So, see, they took the tithe and made it like a system. They made it mechanical instead of personal. So that's a danger with that. Because a lot of people in the world who aren't Christians think you should give 10% of what you make to some form of charity in the universe, humane society, anything, to get a blessing for the temporal. But we understand in the Old Testament the tithe was the people were in a covenant with God and they gave it back for the service of God by the people of God. The New Testament, we're told whatever we can give, we give. We purpose in our heart. And we're told the very amount we give is the very amount we get back. So if you want to give 10% and get 10% back, give 10%, get 10% back. You want to give more than that, get more than that back? You can do that. But one thing I think I can speak for all of us older people is possessions take on less value the older you get, even though you kind of have a fear about living your money, I have to say like when you look at beautiful houses, you think like I couldn't live there for more a couple more years when you're younger it all seems like, oh this will go on forever when you're older, it's like, no these are just like this really is like the Monopoly game it's just, sooner or later the Lord's just going to take the board and fold it up and say we're done <laughs> yeah, when you're young like I'm playing Monopoly Park Place man, when you're older like <laughs> it's, it's going to go like that So we talk about the blessings in giving and how God, what we give is going to come back. And we talk about, too, at the church, that the church, what the church says is we bless in Jesus' name. So we give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. There's eternal fruit for that. In Matthew 25, Jesus says when he separates the sheep and the goats, the ones that get in get in because they did these things. When they did these things, they did it unto him. So we we realize that, and that's not really the main point of the message, but it's worth talking coming to, because of the context it's a tithe, so we need to understand their context versus New Testament giving. The tithe's a great principle, uh, but you know, like, why limit God to 10%? I don't want to just get 10% of God's blessings. I want to get all of God's blessings. And so we just want to be generous people. And again, the older you get, the more you realize it has less value as you get older. I need to give it away. If I don't give it away, I don't get any fruit from it. If you give it away and you step into eternity, then you get fruit from it. That's why Franklin Graham, Greg Laurie, and all these people set up their ministries where you can put your trust and all these savings, and you can give these things to the ministry when you step into eternity, which is really smart, by the way, because it's going for the gospel. It's a good thing to help uh, humane society. I think that's awesome. I'm very empathetic to animals. And it's a good thing to help my mom's Catholic school, but it's a better thing to help people that are preaching the gospel straight up for the kingdom of God or in the mission field doing stuff like that that's a better thing so see when the church gives we're not giving so we can get this some sort of mystical mechanical blessing from the lord we're giving because it's more blessed to give than to receive and god so loved us he gave us a son and the spirit of giving lives in us we forgive and we give it's who we are we're fluid in the lord and we keep things moving in the lord and that's the beauty of it and that's what these people did this wasn't a have to, this is a get to, and we talked about this with the tithe on Tuesday night, and the last thought on the tithe is this. The tithe isn't for the Lord, like somehow he's broke and needs to collect the rent from the tenants this month. It do not work like that. Or is the homeowners association coming for the collection, you know, raise HOA fees, you know. God's raised your HOA. Could you imagine? God, what a horrible thought, right? No. The tithe is for you and me, and giving and, and letting go is for you and me. Because the worst thing that can happen for souls of human beings head for eternity is to lose sight of eternity, by that which snares us and snares us in the temporal. Jesus said, "Where your treasure is, your heart will be also." So we always want to have the kingdom mind with our possessions, so we're always moving toward the glory. But once the possessions own us and then they become like bricks and weigh us down, and we don't see the kingdom anymore, so we just got to be like fluid these people were fluid they brought the first fruits they brought this they brought that they brought the sheep the lambs the goats the cows oxen everything the honey he brought the honey they the people were generous they had this excellent great king who led in all ways and all things who was all in with everything and he inspired the people and the proof of that inspiration was they were generous with everything everything they were free and think about this How, like, in life, you rarely see this. But not only did they give abundantly, they used the Australian term that Aussies use. Right, mate, heaps. If you know Australians, that's a term they use. Like, oh, mate, yeah, heaps, mate. There's just heaps of them, mate. Heaps is an Aussie word. <laughs> they had abundance, and there's, pi- there's heaps. There's just piles of blessings. What did they remove when their, de- when their king came to power? Piles of trash. These priests removed piles of garbage from the temple, and now they've got months and months of piles of heaps of the wealth that the people brought to support the work of the Lord. It's so awesome. What an inspiration. The people were generous. And God promised later on in the book of Malachi to his people that if they would honor the tithe and honor his word, again, those people in that covenant, the way they were, that he would pour out his blessings upon them. And this is interesting. He would bless them beyond what they could even imagine, And he would also preserve their wealth and protect them from those who'd come to take it. Which happened here? Because they brought the tithe, and what happened? God slew the Assyrians. The Assyrians came and took everything that was theirs, and God they tithed, God protected their wealth, honored their wealth, and then he wiped out the people that were coming to take it. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's all his anyways. And the third and final thing we see with these this story of this excellent king, these generous people, is the faithfulness of the priests. Previous chapter, the priests are crying over lost opportunities because they were ashamed, and they responded more slowly than the Levites, and all these things, as I said, happened rapidly. But here we see it starts with Azariah, who's the chief priest from the house of Zadok, and he's like, hey, king, this is the deal, man. Like, just keep coming. Like, like he, what's left here is great abundance. It's more than we even know what to do with. Like, we covered everything, we, and it's, it's just crazy how much the people have brought. So Hezekiah says, "Right now you, you need to, you know, save this wealth and organize this wealth, put it in storage, build some storage units, all this kind of stuff, preserve these things. It's commodities, you know, so it's perishable goods, and, but this is good stuff, so let's do this. But look what it says about the priest. It says in verse 17, excuse me, verse 12, then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. So they received the wealth. The priesthood had the responsibility to receive all this wealth. They faithfully brought it in. And then there were overseers under the hand of Kunaniah, and Azariah was the ruler of them all. They had the freewill offerings, and they needed to distribute these things. And it was under him, verse 15, there were faithful assistants, they needed to distribute the allotments, so as a, as it came into the priesthood, it had to go out to all the surrounding regions of all those in the tribe of Levi, and people had to get the supplies, get it to them. It's kind of like Amazon Prime, you know, delivering your groceries or something. It's doorbell people, right? They bring they're, they would bring the stuff that came in, they had to get it to them, to their families, to their little ones, and that's what they did. This daily portion for the work, verse sixteen, but I love the final thought on these guys, verse eighteen. For in their faithfulness they sanctify themselves in holiness. Hmm. Do you understand why I say this is an amazing chapter? Worship Generation? Like if you really think about this chapter, we've not had a lot of chapters like this. This is a very special chapter. They for their faithfulness, they sanctify themselves in holiness. So we've seen the excellence and the quality of effort as unto the Lord. We've seen the generosity of the people, the tithe, and the sowing bountifully that runs throughout the scriptures, just above and beyond, with eternal purposes in it. And here we see the faithfulness of the priest. Oh, it's good for, it's good for planet Earth when the, when the leadership of the Lord and the house of the Lord is faithful, isn't it? That's a good thing. We need faithful. People just loved Pastor Chuck Smith at Big Calvary back in the day because they counted him faithful. People trusted him. They saw him as a faithful pastor. There was no blemish, you know. Again, with Pastor Art yesterday talking about Jeff Johnson, I was like, oh, I said, Jeff's probably the greatest of all the Calvary pastors. He's like, Really? I'm like, yeah, there's all kinds of charismatic pastors that were super entertaining and made people laugh at pastors' conference, and some of those guys aren't in ministry right now because of the things they did in their private life. I go, Pastor, Pastor Jeff just got up there, and he plowed 45 minutes at every pastors' conference. He didn't tell a lot of stories. He opened the Bible, he taught it, and he applied it to pastors'. I've been going to pastors' conferences for 35 years in the Calvary Double Movement. That guy was always just, he's like a running back that never fumbles, you know? He takes care of the ball, he's He's faithful. Raul Reese, Skip Heise, Greg Laurie, I mean, it's a short list of those guys that are truly great in what they did and that are standing 40, 45 years later. It's a beautiful testimony. They were faithful in little things. Greg Laurie was faithful at a little church in Riverside. Jeff Johnson's little place. Who even knows where Raul Reese was? A little karate studio, wasn't it? Like, just... See, we learned this, Jesus said, when you're faithful in the little things, you get greater things. And I said to Art, because Art never sought this position. Before he was pastor Downey, he never took a dollar for being a pastor. He worked for Wells Fargo. He didn't seek the position. Jeff sought him, because the Lord told me he was the guy. I said, well, you know, Art, it's interesting, because you were faithful at Wells Fargo, Two becomes four. You're a faithful pastor in a church for five years up the road. Five becomes ten. And God just turned over one of the most fruitful ministries in the history of the Calvary Chapel movement to be the pastor of when you're 33. And you see your proof that when you're faithful in the little things, God will give you greater things. Already it's just about being faithful. It's just a compound effect of being faithful. I said Chuck was faithful when he pastored small churches in the Four Square Movement in, in Prescott in Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. At the age of 40, he was the same man, technically, how he carried himself as he was at the age of 60. The difference was at 60, he managed like $100 million worth of wealth. He didn't change anything. He was just faithful. He was faithful with the congregation of 20, 200, 2,000, and 20,000. It's all faithfulness like these priests. To be faithful, that's what we want to be. And I just, that these men who are in ministry and their wives with them, and so ladies, we include men and women tonight, but they, faith, they were faithful. They were faithful in what was entrusted to them and how they organized it and managed it, how they distributed it. They were faithful. And they were faithful because they sanctify themselves to holiness. And that's, that's an encouraging word for me. It's an encouraging word for all of us. So, worship generation, we have started a journey together for 18 plus years. Throw in Calvary, Costa Mesa, that's plus five. 23. And we've lived this timeline and we're still living it. And boy, it's been, a, it's been Mr. Toad's wild ride, huh? It's been a little journey here. You know, I didn't see that coming, right? Um, but God is good. And I'll try and be a better leader for you. I'll try and raise the quality. We'll just keep on being generous together. And we'll do the best we can, all of us, from top to bottom, to be faithful in the the things God's entrusted to us. Yes? And amen. Praise the Lord, yeah? Praise God. What a beautiful chapter.